Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Believe in Vanderbilt football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. In the Music City, I'm Matt Perkins. On today's show, we've got Chris Lee, the publisher of VandySports.com, to talk about the multiple allegations of sexual violence against Vanderbilt football players, publishing sports-related content during the time where there are no sports, and how he's adapted to COVID. But, as always, before we get started, we can't forget to... All right, on with the show. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. Good to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, I was originally going to have you on to talk about covering college athletics during the time of COVID and recruiting and things like that, things you're looking forward to for fall camp. But the news cycle took a bit of a turn for the worse in terms of Vandal Sports over the weekend. And Chris, you had Grover Collins, an attorney, on yesterday on your show. Tell us about your conversation with him and what the Title IX implications are for Vanderbilt University. Well, Title IX processes are different than legal processes, and I'm not going to get into all that because I'm not an expert there. But, uh, of course, the news this weekend was that Vanderbilt had some players, current and ex, accused of of certain things uh, by people on Twitter. It was very graphic. Um, Not a lot of punches were pulled, honestly. And and I'm not going to get into naming names here uh, just because – I don't if, know you want, if you want to know the names, they are very readily accessible and we don't need to repeat them and we don't need to repeat the, the, the very graphic details because that would make the show rated explicit. And I'm not in the business of doing that here. Yeah. And, and you said it very well right then and there. So let's let's put that aside for a second. There was a Title IX complaint against one of the players who had been on the team uh, who was apparently expelled. And of course, one of the big points of contention is he was allegedly allowed to continue team activities and things like that, which I think is um, one of the flashpoints of this whole thing. But we had an attorney on yesterday, and one of the questions I asked him was, why would you come forth in Twitter or something like that? Because there's there's a lot of risk, right? I mean, even if you're right, you could get sued and you could have a lot to lose. Uh, it's, to me, that, that's the thing that I wonder is, is what is the end game for all this? But one of the things that Grover said that I found interesting was, and he actually referenced a series that I've been watching on Netflix called Trial by Media. And in that, he talked about sometimes um, this is a thing that attorneys do is they get their message out there in the media. And a lot of times the facts of the case become irrelevant. It's what people believe and, and whose side they're willing to take in a legal trial. And that was something I'd not really thought through in that way, but I found that comment to be very interesting. Yeah, because at this point, you know, the, the, the trial isn't by 12 of your peers. It's by the entire population on social media, it seems. And, you know, while we do have to let a legal process play out in terms of, you know, if, if there are going to be, you know, trials and lawsuits and things like that in the court of public opinion the perpetrators are already guilty and that is basically fact at this point and i know on on a personal level i saw this at the university of wisconsin receiver quintus cephas was 
yep. uh, two years ago uh, uh, accused of multiple counts of uh, sexual assault and rape. And it, he basically took a redshirt season, spent the year not practicing with the team, going to trial, went to trial. The jury was out for 30 minutes and acquitted him on, on every single account. And yeah. then he, after the jury trial played out, he rejoined the team and then was picked in the fourth round of the draft last year, fifth round of the draft last year. But for me, that was actually one of the more, from a, at least an institutional standpoint, allowing a player who is either have been expelled or suspended from campus to continue to play with the team is maybe at least that crime or sorry, that cover up may actually be worse than the crime in terms of the future for Derek Mason and other people involved with the scandal. Yeah. And it's been interesting. And I guess there's no time this has been more true than right now. We don't do well with finding the truth in the middle. A lot of times things take extremes. And for decades, I think that you had a lot of things going on with, with crimes and women that were horrible and, Athletic departments and cities a lot of times covered those up. Well, oh, then you absolutely. had the Me Too movement. Uh, and before that, the Duke Lacrosse case, where it became, like as you said, trial by media, and the nature of an accusation makes you guilty. I don't think that's where we need to settle either. And that's why I think I, for one, and other people in the media are kind of taking a back seat on this thing rather than commenting a lot because I don't know what's true, I don't know what's been. And, and even if I did, there's huge liabilities in talking and reporting on those things, potentially. And, and when is the point where you're sure you're right? So I think a lot of us in the media, after we've seen the polls both ways and the swings, we're just kind of sitting back and taking a back seat and saying, OK, let's let's see what happens next and what the facts turn out to be. Yeah, we're going to have to see this play out. And I think that the one thing that, you know, I, I don't want to say, like, I want to speculate on anything, but this might be the, the straw that really breaks Derek Mason's back because if you, especially with the new athletic director who has a very decided social justice bent uh, in her, in, in the way that she sees the world in her worldview, that this may be the kind of thing that really forces the hand of the athletic department. It's one thing to not win when you are a clean program, but if you're a program that has these, you know, these black marks against it and you're not winning, that might be the double whammy. Yeah, I think potentially it depends on what's in the contract. And I've heard different things and I'm, I don't have enough confirmation to know how that reads. And of course, Vanderbilt is very protective of contracts, right? Being a private school, mm -hmm. they don't tell you much of anything. Yeah, but, I mean, they're very protective of not just contracts, but in information in general. Oh, absolutely. And the, the thing I think now that people are wondering is, is there, where's the bar in the contract to get out of things like this? In other words, if you decide you need to move on, you see this in America all the time. Somebody does something grievously wrong and yet they get a big payout to go on their way. Um, so I think the buyout for Mason is, is pretty significant as it is. But the question is if they decided they needed to move on and I'm not saying what the right thing to do or, or not to do is, but I think the questions a lot of people have right now are what does that bar look like if they decide that, Hey, this has got to the point where we can't stand for it and we need someone else. 
Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, it's it's sad and tragic developments, but unfortunately it's not the first time we've seen this in and around the Vanderbilt football program. Yeah, and you brought up a key point. The 2013 incident with Brandon Vandenberg and three other players really made things difficult for football for a few years. And, of course, football is not the important thing. When you have crimes like this and victims, these are things that scar you for life. And so I don't want to come off as being insensitive uh, towards those things because that's, that is the most important thing, and that's the most important thing in this case. But at, at the same time, there is a sports aspect to it. How is that affected? I think it made things very difficult for the football program to get anything after that. And I think there's a lot of concern now of, okay, against the climate that's been difficult to get anything done and you've not really seen any major investment in football since they built the indoor practice facility. And and Mm -hmm. that's a campus that's probably spent a billion dollars on other things since then. I mean, we've Um, seen we've seen tons of new dorms going up, new buildings. And I mean, they they basically completely torn down all of the old dorms that, you know, used to line uh, West End you know, ranking and all those over there. And now they are just, you know, these, they seem to be palatial, quite frankly, you know, I would, I I wish I could afford to live in an apartment like that. Yeah. They're, they're going to be massive. And some of the dorms from what I've told, been told if if the new ones have got a cost of around a million dollars a room, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, So you have the backdrop of all this with what is this going to mean for football at a time where it's already had trouble getting any kind of funding and, I think that's the thing that people that care about the athletic program are kind of nervously awaiting is when the dust settles on this, what does it mean for football? Yeah, absolutely. What does it mean? Well, let's let's pivot and switch gears here and talk about what actually originally wanted to bring you on here for was to talk about um, recruiting and uh, just, you know, analyzing recruits in the time of COVID. So for you as someone who's publishing a you know a rivals.com page where you know your lifeblood is recruiting this would be the time of year where you have a lot of seven on seven camps and the rivals camps and things like that how has that changed the way that you go about both covering recruiting and do your actual own evaluations well just to be clear of course i'm the publisher at vandysports.com i've got two guys in sean williams and david sis that handle most of that so i'm not i'm more involved with the content end but obviously i follow it and know what's going on um my guys have been pretty resourceful in that regard and i know that david sisk has done a thing where there's a local church in nashville where a couple of vanderbilt recruiting targets and, and darius garland have been working out and playing and um you have some players on the team that have been working out there. So at a time where everything has been shut down, he somehow found out about this pocket of activity that involves Vanderbilt. So that's one of the things we've covered. Of course, you keep your ear to the ground with prospects and things like that. Uh, you, you talk to them. You keep your lines of communication to find out what's going inside of programs and, and who teams are targeting. So in a sense, in the second sense, it's not really changed some of what we do because a lot of what we do is interviewing kids and and finding out who Vanderbilt's really interested in. And that recruiting activity continues despite a pandemic, but in terms of evaluations and AAU stuff and seven on sevens, uh, yeah, that's been cut by basically 100%. So you have to find the pockets of activity where you can. Uh, There are not many. Fortunately, we did find one, but that's what it's been like. Yeah, I can, you know, I also, you know, this is something I I talked to Sean about last week was the fact that 
especially for some of the kids that might be more under the radar, at least in terms of their, uh, from the student athlete perspective. If you, if I'm a, if I'm an unrated or two-star kid that was hoping for the spring camp series to, you know, boost my recruiting stock, this is something that is, you know, completely thrown off. And I think that we're going to see, we're seeing two things. I think we're seeing a lot of guys commit to schools before actually visiting them now, which is a big sea change and a big shift. Because I know that there are a lot of programs out there, Vanderbilt included, usually will not allow students to commit without having an on-campus visit. But, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're a junior rising senior that hasn't been on, you know, a lot of unofficials or any officials or anything like that, you're going to get a, uh, you know, a, a very different look. And so I, I know Sean was saying he expected to see a lot of decommitments come the fall, assuming that we have a uh, assuming that this fall that we actually have a football season when students are able to go on those, you know, those unofficials and those officials. So I've uh, on a personal level, I'm intrigued to see what's happening because I've also been surprised at the amount of commitments that we've seen over the past couple months. You know, every every time I open my Twitter feed or every time I open, you know, uh, the rivals.com page, I feel like I'm seeing three, four, five more two, three, four, five-star kids committing every single day. And that, you know, that really surprises me because, you know, from the guys that I have talked to, a lot of them talked about, you know, the, the thing that made me commit was when I was there in person, talking with the coaches, feeling the family atmosphere or whatever it is, and the fact that they don't have that, but they're all taking these virtual visits. And virtual visits are all the rage now. And I think that uh, talking with Corey Phillips, that's there is some stuff with the virtual visits that are actually going to be continuing to use down the road, even in a post-COVID world where, you know, they are going to be using the resources that they have created during this time in order to continue to recruit virtually in addition to being more in person. But I just think that the entire sort of prospect evaluation recruiting cycle now has really been been flipped on its head. And it's going to be it's going to be a while, even, you know, even if there is if there is ever a return to any sort of normalcy. Yeah, uh, a lot to unpack there. And there's something that, that came to mind as we were talking that, that I want to look up for a second. But like right now, Vanderbilt's involved with Jason Nelson, who was Mr. 2A basketball in Virginia last year. Mm-hmm. And here's a kid that he's got two offers right now from Virginia and, excuse me, from Richmond and Vanderbilt. He's going to be making a decision soon. Well, that's a kid who, because I don't think he's had as much AAU exposure and those things. That's where coaches notice you right now. Well, that's all been shut down, right? And so sometimes you see kids blow up during those circuits, and and sometimes two offers like that become twenty. And next thing you know, you're being chased by, um, you know, by Villanova I, and by Florida and by Tennessee and by Georgia Tech and by whoever else. Bingo! Or every once in a blue moon, if if a Duke or a Kentucky misses out on a couple of targets, you blow up that much. It, it, it you know it's not common, but you can escalate to to that stratosphere. I'll give you an example. Festus is Ely. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been about a dozen years, but he was a kid who was on the AAU circuit, did not play high school basketball, and next thing you know, he's got offers from Florida and Vandy and all kinds of places, and ended up making a career in the NBA. No, that's the outlier, right, Matt? Of course. But but the point is, this, this is an interesting test case because that is a a path that could have gone any number of directions, not just for Vanderbilt, because let's say he blows up and, and has schools that have top 25 and top 10 programs chasing, and that's a kid that becomes harder to get. Uh, but if you're Nelson, on the other hand, 
you know, you also have to take the bird in the hand at this point. You don't have that luxury of those sorts of things. And so I think these are the, the kinds of decisions kids are making across the country, um, you know, especially as, as you see some athletic programs getting cut. That's probably not going to filter down to football so much, but it's a risky world. I think people are scared of a lot of things. And so I think maybe the bird in the hand is a more valuable commodity uh, than it has been in past years. A lot of times kids hold out and wait to see what's going to come and they think I'm better than this, but I yeah, think hold out for that dream offer, hold out for that Duke offer, Kentucky offer, whatever, it, whatever your dream school happens to be. Yeah. But I, I wonder how the air of uncertainty plays on the psychology and all this and not just on the side of the schools, but on the side of the kids as well. Well, especially on the side of the kids, you have to think, well, you know, right now might be my opportunity to go ahead and, you know, and, and snag that spot before they all dry up. And if there is no fall football season or basketball, you know, basketball season this winter or anything like that, you got to, you know, strike while the iron is hot and maybe not, not hold out for that, for that big, big offer. But, you know, and, and should things open up, you can always decommit in, in their case. Yeah. So. And, and let's look at this too. Let's say that we have a season and, and we have social distancing and you have crowds at a third of capacity and such, then, you know, part of what gets kids is that hook of going to the swamp in Florida with 85,000 screaming fans. Oh, yeah. When, when you tone the atmosphere down a lot, it's a different experience. And that's another thing. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is now, you know, for, you know, for better or for worse, for worse for Vanderbilt's case, let's face it, like it's that's not really going to be all that different. Instead, instead of having, you know, you know, 25,000 Georgia fans in the house, it's just going to be 10,000 fans dispersed around the football stadium when when Vanderbilt plays Georgia or whatever so um but then the last thing I actually wanted to talk to you um about um in just in terms of that is you know the fact that you know obviously this is really changing the overall business of of sports media right because this this has really shifted not not just the fact that we haven't had games but the fact that you know as someone who publishes a sports website, you just don't have that basic amount of content that you can find. So how are you guys adapting and finding different, you know, different things to publish? I know you guys have been doing like a Vandy top hundred, uh, you know, what else have you guys been doing adapt to the new business conditions? Well, obviously you, you keep your ear to the ground in terms of what it can mean for sports because people want to know, but that's been so speculative and everybody knows it and nobody's had answers. So we're all kind of in the same boat there. I knew that when, you know, late March or so, when baseball got canceled, you're like, Oh boy, now we're going to have nothing to cover till August. So you better have a plan. And that's when I came up the idea of the Vandy sports 100, which has been a great read, by the way, if you guys haven't seen it, go to VandySports.com and check it out. The latest one, I think with Jordan Matthews, number eight. I think that's where we are. And I've, I've got, I've got six and seven I'm working on right now. I've, I've taken a little bit of a break from it this week because I'm trying to keep my ear to the ground on, on the legal things that are happening with, with the things we talked about at the first podcast, uh, not to mention vacation coming in two days, but oh, very nice. uh, well, yes, indeed. And we will wrap that up. But where I was going with that is when, when you're looking at this from March perspective, you're thinking, okay, I've got to find something that's going to fill content for three or four months. Now, when you get into July, people talking about start talking about football a little bit more and yeah, camp season's magazines. coming around the corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you We've already seen like the I, you know I saw Athlon magazines on the shelf the other day. Like yeah, yeah. And I've I've got my copy and I wrote mm-hmm. the Lindy's preview too, which by the way that got pushed back because they weren't sure if they're going to have a season or not. So 
I'm usually writing that in March and April, and this year it was more like early May. But where I was going is at that point when baseball got canceled, right, when you, okay, there's going to be a long pause on this, and you better have a plan. So I thought, well, that's a good way to come up with something. It's a 100-part series. You can do one or two a day, and and you'll kill about 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. And then by that point, you've got into the zone where people are talking football. So in that case, it was, it was a plan that I think has worked out as well as it could. And, and oh, by the way, the backup plan, if football gets canceled, is to, to run down all the teams I've covered in, in men's basketball, baseball, and football, uh, worst to best. That's from 03 to present. So if hopefully I don't get to that point anytime soon, Matt, but, I hope but if not we either. get there, that's where it's going next. That's yeah. I I mean, I've, you know, I, I peruse all the different rival sites and stuff like that. And it's been interesting to see how not just rivals, but ESPN and, you know, Fox sports, CBS, CBS sports, all these different bleacher report, whatever, what they are all doing to provide content during this time. Because obviously, you know, the old adage goes content is king, but when there is a lack of what we usually base most of our content on, there's a lack of games. It really sort of, I think separates the, the people who are being proactive in running their sites to people who are being reactive in running their sites. And yeah. it's been nice to see that Vandy sports has been very proactive, which has been awesome to see, you know, I'm uh, you know, I, I go around and see some of these sites and they're just like, uh, it's clear like they have no idea what to do. They're just like, yeah. uh, we talked to a recruit yesterday. Here's a write up about it, but n- with no sort of real sort of thought process going into, okay, well, how is this actually going to play out over the next couple months? Um, so it's been, uh, you know, just not to blow smoke up your butt, but you know, it's been really good to see you guys actually like taking a, a, a very proactive stance on it. And I think that hopefully, you know, I, you know, obviously it's completely speculative right now, but God, I hope we have football this fall because if we don't, I really don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're all in the same boat and, and I will say this, we have the luxury of having a baseball heavy following too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and that, so that's something like in the big 10, although Michigan and, and maybe Ohio state with getting players drafted, that's changing. It's, it's, it's mostly, it's mostly Michigan and Minnesota yeah. when it comes to the big 10, maybe Indiana occasionally and maybe Purdue, but it's not really, you know, the, where you guys, SEC has baseball. A lot of the big 10 schools have hockey. You know, yeah. Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, or Ohio State, Penn State, all, you know, hockey is is, yeah. is what it's going to boil down to. But at the same time, yeah, you know, you know, there's no hockey being played either. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and what we did and you you what you do is I've found that I will pause the countdown to take breaks where there's something to talk about. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I decided, OK, baseball drafts coming up. We're going to blow this out for two weeks. We're going to preview. We're going to talk about it as it happens. We're going to talk about it after it happens. Mm-hmm. And I think you, I think everybody right now is just seizing every opportunity um, that, that there is for that. And, and fortunately for us, that gave us a two-week period where we could talk about other things where I think a lot of other outlets don't really have that. Yeah, that you, you guys are fortunate that Vanderbilt is you know, maybe the best program. It's probably the, the best baseball program in the country right now. And yeah. has been probably for the last five to 10 years. I think there is not a ton of doubt about that between the amount of players being sent to the majors, the success at the collegiate level, whether it's in the SEC or the college world series. Um, you know, that is definitely a boon for you guys to be able to have at least that in your back pocket, because, you know, if you are, I don't know if you're Ole Miss or something like that, or if you're, you're a school that doesn't have as strong of like a baseball program or basically a third sport outside of football and, 
basketball, it the, the pickings become pretty slim pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So, well, listen, Chris, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with me here today and giving me your insights on everything that uh, has been, been going on. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fun, Matt. Thank you All for right. having me. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the show. And until next time, anchor down. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.